Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYXNZ. I'm Bob Lawton. I'm Jim Hyde. And I'm Toby Molina. And support for KZYX comes from our members and Mariposa Market in Willits. February is the month of love, and Mariposa Market is ready with flowers, cards, chocolates, wine, or a home-cooked meal featuring their meats and produce. For more store news, current hours, deli menu, and to place curbside orders, mariposamarket.com and 459-9630. Yeah, thanks to our underwriters and to everybody that supports community radio here. A valuable asset to our community. Indeed. Indeed. And we're here for another edition of our bi-weekly computer show where we answer your computer questions and bring you the latest computer and internet news we have um, our usual grab bag of news items to cover tonight we want to do a short um, update about the starlink satellite service uh, more and more folks in this area seem to be getting service and um, there are most people are reporting good results but not everybody so we'll talk about that um, we want to do a brief tribute to the late, great Steve Jobs, who would have been 66 today. Today. Today is the birthday, Steve Jobs' birthday. Yeah. Born in 1955. Wow. And uh, We'll have all of that and more, plus uh, your calls and questions in our second half hour. But first, we want to start off with our week, uh, our tip of the week, <clears throat> which comes to us from Toby Molina at the Point and Click Research Desk. And we're going to talk tonight, she's going to talk tonight about ensuring or shoring up the security of your smart speaker. What? You know, a <laughs> lot of people. <laughs> you mean making people, your smart speaker even smarter? No, making you, making you smarter than your smart speaker. Oh, there you go. That's the trick. Okay. <clears throat> there, do you have one of these? They are, they are out and hugely popular. Um, Amazon, of course, has the whole Alexa family. Google has Google Home. Apple has the HomePad, HomePod, I should say. Um, and they are, they're really pretty amazing. Um, they are the ultimate shortwave radio, listening to radio stations all over the world. You can tell your Alexa device to listen to KZYX, and it will play this very station on your device. Really? You don't have to have a subscription to anything or be signed nope. up? It'll it just taps, play? It's, it taps into the TuneIn.com oh, yes. streaming service. Right. So you can listen to KQED. You can listen to radio stations all around the world through your through your smart speaker. I have um, a... I have obviously... I have a pair of HomePods in my living room now. Uh, yeah. I got a pair of white HomePods. Uh, Best Buy had them had them on a great sale, and I just couldn't I couldn't resist any longer. I wanted to get into the smart speaker business, and my wife loves it because she can walk into the living room with her iPhone, listening to her story on Audible, and just tap on the thing that switches to the HomePod, and then the story just jumps from her headphones right into the speakers. And there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're amazing radios. They're uh, they're uh, they're in, they're they're obviously a jukebox that taps into all of the streaming music services, whether it's Apple Music yeah. or Spotify or Pandora. 
Um, they are the hubs of uh, home automation where you can get smart light bulbs and, and tell your Alexa or your HomePod or your Google Home device to turn on the lights in a completely different building or turn your furnace on or off and all of the other things that you can, that can, you can get outlets that you can plug into a wall outlet and they basically turn the outlet into a smart outlet. So anything that you plug into it, you can then control like saying, you know, Alexa, turn on the Christmas tree lights um, <clears throat> and setting timers for an, and all of that. So that's the, that's the upside. The downside potentially, I suppose, is that they're always listening to everything. Well, yeah. <laughs> and um, that potentially introduces some security issues but there are also a lot of things that you can do to um to make your to make yourself smarter than your smart speaker and that's what toby at the point and click research desk is going to talk about today how to make your alexa device in particular more secure gentlemen good take, evening take it away toby good evening so these are just some simple steps that you can take to secure your smart home speakers. Some of these tips will apply directly to the Amazon Alexa family of devices, but can also apply to uh, Google Assistant devices, the Apple HomePod. There are likely s similar settings in those devices um, that you can uh, use to make yourself more secure. The first one is, and particularly with the Alexa device, all day long, you're asking Alexa to do this and that, look this up, turn this on. Those recordings are saved. But there now is a feature, a privacy feature, that allows customers to delete all of their recordings from their device or devices for a specific day. All you need to say is, Alexa, or whatever your prompt word is, delete what I said today. The device will, the device will ask you, so you're sure. You want me to delete what you said today, and you just say yes, and that's deleted. Um, I, I, I highly recommend that at the end of every day, just delete everything you said to the device all day long. Uh, you can also delete your Alexa voice recordings history. So even if you go through and delete your recordings each night, you may still have an archive of past recordings before you started to delete them. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go in and delete the entire archive in the app in settings, in your account settings, you can find it under history and go through and you can delete all of your past recordings. Again, there's no real archival reason to keep any of that. Sure. Sometimes during the day I'll look back because I'll ask a device, you know, how many grams are in a cup of something. Right. And I will spontaneously forget <laughs> what was said. So I can look at the app. I can always ask again, of course, but I can look at the app and see what happened. Uh, you know what what I asked and that's a nice feature but uh, go in and just erase everything there is no reason to keep any of that for uh, posterity now Toby, um, Toby is that being stored on the local device the Alexa speaker itself or um, is it being stored on the servers of the company that sold you the speaker is or how does or is it in in your uh, on your iPhone or something like my that? my guess is that it is stored locally and then moved to the cloud yeah. uh -huh. is that you know the d your day's content may be on the device itself but it can't just be that it's continuing to store there, there, there must be a capacity issue yeah it, ultimately it's got to end up somewhere at Jeff Bezos's house uh, or Mark Zuckerberg's house <laughs> one of those guys exactly. one of those guys yes 
Yeah. Uh, an- another thing you can do easily is turn off your microphone and camera when you're not using the device. Now that's a little bit counterintuitive since you never know when you want to use it. But the, the camera certainly you can turn off. Yes. Yeah, so now all of these, now, not all of these devices, of course, right. have. If you have a, a, an Echo Show, for example, which has right. a camera in it, um, some people worry about some random someone hacking into their Echo and listening in on them, or even worse, they worry someone might be watching them through the uh, device, any device that has a camera. So you can minimize the risk by turning off your microphone if you don't plan on using your device. Um, there's an on-off button located at the top of the device, uh, for the Alexa devices, I imagine, that for both Google and Apple devices, it's very similar, on-off. Um, and that, they'll stop listening. That makes a lot of sense. You know, if you have a very special, like say you only, we have a good friend who basically has Alexa devices who only uses them to listen to the radio. So mm. basically going over and tapping that microphone button when you want to listen to a station, it's like, you know, Alexa, play KZYX, and then hitting the button again. Um, and that's that. That's, that's to, a reasonable use. To assuage the, the fear that the thing is just listening to you because anybody who has one of these devices, whatever the, you know, whatever the brand You've been in your house, and it has started to talk to you when you've said absolutely nothing to it. So it's listening to something, and it's not you. So, so, but sometimes it is listening to you, and you don't intend to be talking to it. So um, I, I get where that creepy feeling of, huh. Yeah, wow, someone's, this thing is listening to me. Someone's here. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a billionaire has put a microphone in my house. In, in newer Echo uh, models with screens, they come with a little, the little slidey physical camera shutter that you can actually just slide over the camera mm. uh, because there was a, a increasing concern that you know digital measures could be overwritten well i've could still oh, get sure. into your cameras i've seen situations i have on my mac that i use for doing things like online banking i have a um program i think it's called it's either little snitch or little flocker one of those i have both of those running and one of them um, will alert you if there's any attempt to connect to the keyboard or the screen or the microphone or the um, camera. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that sometimes I've gone to the sites where I do banking. It says, you know, so-and-so, um, you know, Wells Fargo or whatever would like to access your camera. And, of course, I say no thanks. Yeah, but I think some of those sites use that for facial recognition to see if... Um, oh, I haven't, I haven't wow. seen that yet. That's interesting and creepy. Yeah, yeah it is very creepy. Yeah. But I think that's just another way they have to know if you're really the right person that should be accessing this account with the password and everything that you have. But I don't like the idea of... Web- and I, I've occasionally found it on other websites just arbitrarily wanting to, to use the camera, which is really creepy because... They don't need to know, you know. On the Mac OS, is supposed to have a feature in it that says, you know, so-and-so, you know, Google Chrome would like to access the camera. Well, maybe that's, you know, I always run things that are five or six years out of date. So, <laughs> I mean, my, <laughs> that may well be my OS is never the latest <clears throat> one, uh, you know. But it might yeah, be soon. Yeah. Will ask you in the same way that the phone will. Um, they'll ask you if you if you want to grant permission to use the microphone. Oh, sure. The camera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. An- another uh, simple and a good piece of advice for everything that you do is use a strong password. So yeah. use a strong Amazon password, use a strong Google password, use a strong you know, Apple ID password, and two-factor authentication. Um, sometimes people forget that their Alexa or Google or Apple devices are secured and protected by 
the password, the master password for their overarching accounts, particularly with Amazon. It's protected by your Amazon password. Um, if someone has your Amazon password, you share an account with somebody, you let somebody use your Prime to watch movies or whatever, they have access to your Alexa recordings. Um, your uh -huh. smart devices like security systems and cameras, your daily routine, and the ability to make purchases and all of that stuff. So it's a compelling reason why it's probably a good idea to A, have a strong password and use two-factor authentication where you receive an, you know, a text um, on your phone. Um, and also, um, maybe not so much with the sharing. Uh, if, it, <laughs> yeah, if it's yeah. not somebody that you just, you know, you know, completely trust. There was a recent study by the UK's uh, National Cybersecurity Center that looked at public databases of breach accounts and found that 23.2 million accounts globally used the password 123456. Oh, 123456. Is that a secure yeah. password? You gotta be safe. Add that seven and eight to the end of that, folks. Get, really? Get, get secure. Get Use secure. a strong <laughs> password generator. You can find them online and generate a random 16 digit, you know, crazy password and use a password locker like LastPass. Yeah. Uh, and, and change them regularly because just because they're complicated doesn't mean they can't be stolen well the hacking we've all heard about so it's it's a very yeah. it's a very good piece of advice just generally speaking um, but particularly when it comes to these devices make sure they're behind your your overarching account like your Amazon account with strong strong password that, that's a good, uh, good suggestion you also want to you can increase your network security and that's a very deep topic but a uh, secure home network is a key to securing your uh, smart home speakers. That means having a strong network password. Uh, don't use the default password that came with your uh, router. Avoid giving your password to friends and neighbors. Use a guest network instead. In other words, certainly let them use your uh, network, but have a separate password that isn't part of the admin password. Um, use two-factor authentication when you can. There's a lot of reading to be done about securing your home network. There's from the simple to the much more complex, well beyond my <laughs> my knowledge base. We'll but, cover that in another show. That's yeah. actually a great topic. Uh, but that's, you know, the very least, change the default password that came with your router. Um, you also want to be sure to manage the, like the third-party skills that these mm -hmm. devices can use all of them have them amazon has a much larger breadth of skills that have been made for the device but google is um those are ever increasing and apples are all i think their own i'm not sure what how skills work on the apple devices but um amazon won't share any personally identifiable information for any s skill without directly acquiring your permission first but on the other hand a lot of skills automatically require the transfer of some information for example if you start a quiz skill. Alexa will send your quiz answers to the, to the skill without asking permission. Yeah. In other words, that because that's the point of the skill. But you, can, <laughs> you have to kind of think through what it is that you're, if Facebook does the same thing, there's like fun quizzes. Right. Um, you don't realize that you're really telling them a lot about yourself yeah. in these answers that you're providing. So, so think that through, make sure that you're, you know, you know what you're signing up for. Um, you know, Alexa can only share certain information, like your email, with a skill if you've enabled it. So you go to the Alexa app and pull up your skills to to secure and change your permissions. In other words, make sure that you know what you're allowing them to give out to these third-party skills. Because these skills can be, I mean, they're vetted, but 
you never really know exactly yeah. where your information is going. And so be, be careful about that and, and thoughtful about what skills you activate and use. And it really does come down to um, something that we all should do more, or most of us, which is read the privacy poli policies and adjust your privacy settings. Mm. You know, Amazon publishes info, as do all of these companies, Amazon, Google, Apple, they publish the info on security practices, terms of use, privacy policies, read it. Review the information so you thoroughly understand what you are agreeing to. Um, I'm certainly guilty of that. This looks cool. Yeah. Yes. Well, and there, are, there, are, there are pages and pages of legalese right. that are incomprehensible. But you can often, often if you do a search <clears throat> on your search engine of choice as to what those policies are, you'll find plenty of articles for every platform, yeah. people who have yeah. looked at them for you right. and have boiled them down to information that is accessible. Jim, right. wasn't there a site that came up a while ago where somebody actually translated all the privacy policies and and uh, user, uh, what's EULAs, E-U-L-A's, right? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is you sign up for when you get a, you know, a Google Mail account. Wasn't there somebody who put up a site that translated them into plain English or basically? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's ringing yeah. a bell because who has a spare weekend to read through <laughs> the Facebook privacy policy or the Google privacy policy or even some of Apple's privacy policies? It's, hey, uh, I just know it's out there. For folks who are, you know, privacy sites and people who are doing this legwork for us. Yeah, the Cliff Notes version of the Correct. Google Privacy exactly. Agreement. Uh, and and the la and and along the same lines is you know all this if you have smart devices connected through your Alexa, your Google Assistant, your Apple HomePod, uh, they keep track of your use of those devices. So you want to delete the history of your smart device connections. That's another thing that you can log into. I think with Amazon, you have to log into your master Amazon account that we you know on a computer, I believe, and uh, go to your uh, to manage your content and devices. And you mean, you mean I shouldn't keep the history of when I turn on my smart light bulbs? <laughs> it's it's just it's it's another way to, to sort of find your history, your patterns, your true. You know, just figuring out your schedules. To me, it's just why. If I can delete that information, I don't. I agree. It seems prudent just to get rid of that those those footprints. Now I have a question about these smart speakers. My understanding is that until you say the whatever phrase it is, what's the name? What's the term <coughs> term for the secret? You know, so like when you say wait, it's a wake uh, wake word. Yeah, Alexa devices call it an awake word. I don't know what everybody wake, else calls it. We we won't we won't say them over the air because we don't want our audience's smart devices to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I'm on the phone with family members, frequently we'll talk about one of these devices, and everybody's will answer. <laughs> <laughs> My understanding is that when you say wake word, uh, <clears throat> you know, fill in the blank, that it doesn't actually start listening to you until you hears that phrase it's not listening to you and making a recording of everything you're saying all day no. long it just starts Absolutely. it starts However, the process yes that that kind of harks back to what we were saying earlier i've had one of these devices many of these devices respond to me when i have not said that said what i thought was clearly that wake word hmm. it was listening because it heard something else that it misinterpreted and as the wake word. I oh. have initiated phone calls <laughs> that yeah. I didn't want, be, and, and and that person was listening 
had connected a call that I had not tried to. And you weren't aware that it was connecting the call? Oh, we weren't aware of it until the person on the other side said, hello. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is really creepy. Potentially awkward. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you, you know, it's technology. Anybody who has, works, has a computer, has a phone, you know, they, they're not without their flaws. And well, it's the same. It's the, it's the smart speaker version of accidentally dialing somebody with your cell phone and right. them hearing what you're saying, except in this case, oh, like when you do a- accidentally making the call because it heard a piece of dialogue on the TV and oh, interpreted geez. that as a wake word and a command. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe. In there. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like yeah, the audio on. version of butt dialing, I <laughs> guess. Yeah. Exactly. Smart butt dialing. <laughs> In any event, there's lots of information online about yeah. how to secure your, um, your smart speakers. It's a good idea just to familiarize yourself and do a few little sort of um, uh, maintenance, uh, you know, digital health yeah. uh, steps at the end of the day just to erase... Uh, the details of what went on. All I day love long. the way. So, if you have an Alexa device, and if your wake word is, is the default Alexa, you can just say, "Alexa, delete everything I said today." Is that right? Is that the command? That is correct. That's so. That's a really easy thing to do at the end of the day. And the I device- wish I could do that in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I've always wanted to undo for you know Command Z for real life. <laughs> exactly. Um, I know that the uh, Apple HomePods, uh, you can set up your. Uh, they have an app called Home, which I guess is the Home Kit, which lets you uh, connect a lot of those smart devices from the Apple HomePod speaker itself. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons. They brought out the uh, HomePod Mini, the, you know, the ninety-nine dollar mm. little teeny mini ver- mini version, is that you can, um, you know, scatter them throughout your house, put them all in your kids' bedrooms, and you know, tell them when it's time for dinner, or you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff, and uh, control the lights, you know, uh, control all the other smart devices. Yeah, a good example is we have a friend who has uh, a, a lot of devices connected through Apple Home, and uh, I have access. And I turn her lights on and off all the time, <laughs> randomly. You have access from, from your place she to where... She gave me access to her Apple Home. And so I can see her cameras and her I can oh, control geez. the lights. That was her very odd choice. And I do... She's a trusting friend. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. I would friend. guess so. You but know. that's a good example. I have yeah. access to everything in her house. I am to be trusted. <laughs> but well, does she ever get a hold of you and say, "Would you turn on my electric blanket for me at seven thirty tomorrow night?" <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, but I do on occasion hear her call my name because she knows I've changed all the lights in the house to green. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. See, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool devices. We've we've we have many of them now scattered throughout um, throughout throughout the place, including one in a little barn that we have. Um, you can the, the small ones now are incredibly cheap. They have little jacks on them. You can plug into a stereo if you want to, and great get get great audio out of them. Um, but I certainly understand the hesitation to have something that's listening to you scattered all over your home. Yeah. So um, I I now that I've learned more, I will be taking more steps to make sure that um, we're more secure. The secret is to be smarter than your smart speaker. It really is. Yeah. 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 I heard some statistic. I can't remember how many internet of things things are getting connected to the, you know, to the internet like per minute, but it's it's a mind-boggling amount. I mean, it's just Yeah. 
as fast as they can crank them out. You know, smart light bulbs, smart switches. That whole thing about the smart switch is amazing because I remember, you probably remember too, you remember you had to set up to do home automation, they called it. You had to set up these yeah. r- ridiculous devices. And I, you know, they would talk to each other X-10 through the thing. Yes. X10 was the big thing if you wanted to, you know, automate your, automate your house. Yeah. And you had to get into this whole system and it was just only that. But now, you, you know, it just uses the, uh, your home Wi-Fi to connect all these devices together. It's so easy. It's it's so easy, and it's you know there are so many different things that you can do, and um, and uh, and uh, but like I said, the the secret is just to be educated about them, be smarter than they are. And so, Toby, thank you, thank you for another great tip of the week from the Point and Click Research Desk. We'll see you next time. A pleasure. All right. See you in two weeks. <clears throat> and by the way, um, well, when we've been talking here, I did a bit of of, of search engineing, and um, I found uh, if you do, if you do, uh, to, if you want to understand privacy policies, or at least attempt to understand privacy policies, um, go to the search engine of your choice and just type in understanding privacy policies and you will get a lot of really great there's a website called a beginner's guide to understanding privacy policies there's a better business bureau page called understanding privacy policies uh there's another one called privacy policies 101 the what the why the how there's a lot of really good information on um what's in a privacy policy policy why you should care um and you can find them just by going to your favorite search engine and searching for understanding privacy policies. That's a great idea. Yeah. I think I'll do that when I get home. (laughs) (laughs) I've always wanted to understand. Now, Jim, can you remember, is this something that our our Congress uh, passed a law about? Is that the reason all these companies have to post their privacy policies? You know, it's been a while since I've I've looked at this. There are a lot of more recent, um, relatively new data collection laws on the books um, in the European Union, the whole GDPR, yeah. um, general data protection requirement. I forget exactly what those letters stand for. Um, there's a California Consumer Protection Act that, um, and, and you probably see more and more people are probably seeing when you go to websites where the little notice comes that says, you know, we use t- cookies and here's oh, how yes. to customize your settings and they don't always make it easy. And one setting that's always really good to, to, to make if you can find your way through the labyrinth of boxes that appear after that is one that turns off ad targeting. Um, or there's an option often that's called do not sell my personal information. That's another good one to choose. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. Those are <clears throat> more recent um, acts of law that have required those kinds of things. But the actual privacy policy as it goes back years it must be a legal requirement. It must be. I can't remember now. Do that out of the goodness of their hearts. Good heavens, no. <laughs> That's the last thing they do. I do think the uh, European laws uh, have forced a lot of companies that operate worldwide to pretty much make that their uniform standard. And I think that's why yeah. when you go to a site, it says, we use cookies. Yeah. But yeah. the thing that I've seen is that... Um, um, when it says you can, uh, you, you know, uh, look at your, you can change your ad preferences, 
it takes you to a different site and you just sort of go down the rabbit hole. It's like they really don't want you to change your ad preferences. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, just be a rocket scientist and you can, uh, yeah. and an attorney, yes. you can change your, uh, your, your ad targeting. Some sites make it really easy and you're exactly right. Some of them just send you down that, that, uh, that, that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> hey, before you start talking about the latest on Starlink, why don't you give just a little bit of background? Because I think we started talking about this, what, maybe yeah. a month ago or so? It's been a while. Yeah. Great idea. Um, yeah. And, and we'll, we'll also remind folks that they're listening to Point and Click Radio, the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo with Bob Lawton, yours truly, Jim Hyde, and Toby Molina, who joined us from the Point and Click Research Desk. We're on every other week answering computer questions and bringing you computer news and views. And Starlink has been in the news and views a lot lately in this part of the world because they've uh, really expanded their beta program, their pre-release kind of trial run ver uh, uh, version of their service. And Starlink is the brainchild of SpaceX Corporation, the private rocketry and space exploration company founded by um, uh, Elon Musk. And Starlink's goal is to fill the skies or the, the space in low Earth orbit around the planet with thousands of small satellites that beam internet into basically every nook and cranny of, or most every nook and cranny of the planet, including a lot of areas that are underserved, and not only in third world countries, but in countries like ours and counties like ours. And <clears throat> because the satellites are in low Earth, Earth orbit, as opposed to the geosynchronous satellites that have historically been used for satellite internet companies like HughesNet and Viasat and Exceed. These low Earth orbiting satellites are much, much closer to the surface of the planet. They're only a couple hundred miles up instead of 22,000 miles up. And as a result, they allow for much more responsive, much faster internet um, downloads and uploads. So it, it, they, it really solves the big drawback of historic, conventional, old-school satellite internet. At least that's the promise of it. And they're only partway through their whole satellite deployment. They've launched, I think, a couple of thousand satellites. There are, there are thousands more to go. And... Um, However, they've launched enough that they have launched what they call a better-than-nothing beta program, <laughs> where if you are willing to kind of ride the bleeding edge, and that means sometimes you might not have connectivity. It goes down sometimes, or the speeds can be can, can vary pretty widely. Um, they will happily take $500 from you for the hardware that it requires, the, the, the satellite dish, which is this very sleek-looking thing that looks like Apple would have designed it, that automatically aims itself at the satellite. You don't have to get out there with a compass the way, you know, the, the, if you've ever adjusted a satellite TV dish, you know it's a very pain, painful, tedious process. Um, these dishes, they're about the size of a pizza, um, find the satellites on their own after you plug them in. That's amazing. Um, yeah, they're pretty cool. 
Hey, Jim, are, are the um, are the geosynchronous actually 22,000 miles away from the Earth's surface? 22,500, which is which matches the diameter of the Earth. And what that allows is the satellite to be over the same part of the planet okay. as, the saddle, as the Earth is turning. So the speed the satellite's going is going to match the Earth's orbital rate. Right. But it has to be that far away in order to do that, in order to stay in, in, in sync. And in, in to, to be over the same point on the planet at all yeah. times. Yeah. So they can get by with a lot fewer of these geosynchronous satellites. But in the case of the Starlink, by being so much closer, it cuts down on the latency of, of sending the signal up into right. space and back again. That's, exactly. a, that's a brilliant idea. I hope they're going to paint them flat black. <laughs> Well, they're working on a whole bunch of yeah. There are there are definitely controversies about about um, about Starlink that we've talked about. We'll 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 reiterate them again here quickly. Um, one of them is the whole question of space junk. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the more stuff that's in orbit, the more risk of a part falling off, and a, a part that's in orbit is going seventeen thousand or so miles an hour. And if it hits another satellite, or if it hits the space station or a space capsule, well, it could be devastating, faster than a bullet. Um, <clears throat> One big issue, uh, one big thing to consider with Starlink is because they're in low Earth, low Earth orbit, um, those orbits decay, and they are designed to deorbit themselves. They have little thrusters built into them, and they're designed to lower themselves into the atmosphere and burn up um, after a period of years. And even if that doesn't happen, if the um, and and by a few years, a period of years, I mean like a few years, like in the order of three years. But they'll they'll stay up in orbit for that long. They're they're going fast enough and they're far enough away that they will maintain that orbit. Correct. And the thrusters will kind of help them. You know, they can maneuver a little bit as well. Sure. And then they can just basically turn the thrusters around and say, Okay, it's time to Sayonara. It's time to, burn. <laughs> yeah. it's time to go. It's sayonara. Yes. Um, the other and then if those um if those thrusters should fail for any reason because orbits always decay, ultimately they're going to deorbit on their own no matter what. Right. Um, so I've read, you know, because I'm a huge space program junkie and I'm a big astronomy junkie, and these are the two areas where people have been really critical of Starlink, mm -hmm. and, and I think validly so. I read this crazy, I didn't understand a third of it, um, kind of report from the, I, um, the European Space Agency, the ESA, about space junk. And apparently the low Earth orbiting stuff is far less of concern than the stuff that's up higher, because uh -huh. that stuff basically stays up there forever. Right. And the low Earth stuff, ultimately, it comes down. The other big controversy with the satellites is um, the impact on terrestrial astronomy, on telescopes that are on the Earth, as opposed to being up in space like the Hubble. Right. Um, because there's all those satellites streaking across the sky, um, they are affecting the observations that astronomers are making. Um, and there are you can you can go online and look at do a search for Starlink astronomy, and you'll see photos of the beautiful starlit night and of streaks going across the the image because they are the satellites that are reflecting sunlight down onto the down into the into the telescope. Um, SpaceX has been doing a couple of things where they've put on, sh uh, they tried painting, painting them black and it turned out that those, those, as you might expect, because they're up there in the sun, 
they got too hot. Uh-huh. Um, so now they're they're working on some kind of a, of a, a way of positioning the satellite so that they're the, at like at an, a straight on angle rather than facing. If you imagine palm being up straight up and down as opposed to out as though if you, as though you were giving somebody a stop sign hand right yeah they're they're they're, they're doing that with the satellites now um there's also and again on the spacex website there's a detailed technical paper that i understood about a quarter of that talked about what they're attempting to do with um for um to minimize the impact the impact on astronomy. Do they hope to cover the whole entire world with these little shoeboxes? Yeah. Wow. How many yeah. of them can they put up at a time in one of those uh, SpaceX rockets, do you know? I think in the hundreds. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and there have been people who have said, well, you know, this is going to cause so much, uh, so much space junk that... Um, you know, we're not even going to be able to go into space anymore. And myself, I don't, I don't, to me, that argument doesn't hold because um, SpaceX is a space exploration company. I mean, Elon Musk, Musk is, you know, has the probably unrealistic view of like, we're going to be having cities on Mars in the next 50 years. Right. He's not going to mess up his future by, <laughs> by ruining the chances of blasting off into space. I mean, that's yeah. what his yeah. business model is. So there are definitely controversies to them, um, but um, but the but the but the, but the bottom line is that they do have a lot of promise to bring fast internet to areas that otherwise don't have it, and they have that program now where the uh, the, the the dish is five hundred dollars, service is about a hundred dollars a month, and um, and uh, a lot of people locally are starting to get theirs. And there are reports I'm seeing on Facebook where people are having great experiences. I got an email from um, from a, a, another fellow, a local, who um, installed it, and he said it's generally working really well, but um, uploads frequently just kind of die, and they, he loses connectivity. Huh. And that could be a factor of where it's located. Um, maybe it's pointing into some trees or something like that. It's as usual with satellite. You know, you have to have a pretty clear shot to the sky. They have an app for iPhones and Android that will actually use your camera and you can move it around and it will show like where, how high your dish has to point to be able to get service from your exact location. It's really, it's pretty cool. It's using augmented reality. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, to help you position your uh, your dish. But so we yeah. have folks in the county here that are actually have these up and running. Oh yeah, there are people on the coast. Um, there, I know there are some people inland as well. Um, I know someone in Rancho Navarro who just got uh, is about to get service, and um, most people are really happy with it, especially because they're using um, conventional old school satellite where it's just kind of very unsatisfying internet. Yeah. Um, but people should be aware that it is in a kind of a you know better than better than nothing beta, as they call it that um it's not a uh you know it, it it may it may die now and then you know right but for some people that have absolutely no way to get um 
high-speed broadband out here, that might be the uh, the better than nothing solution that they can exactly that they can yeah use. for sure. We would love to hear from people um, on the air to have to call in if yeah. people have it and uh, I would and, too uh, have experiences. How do people? Um, how do they get more information? Is it Starlink.com? Is it, it is Starlink.com. Yeah, yeah and you can get a link from there to the um, to the um, to the SpaceX page that talks about you know astronomy and and, and all of that too. So, um, yeah, that could be a, a deal breaker if it's unreliable for, for uploads because a lot of people that work at home need to do uploads. You know. Oh, absolutely. Completely, especially now. I mean, yeah. in this world of, you know, sheltering in place, if you're doing a Zoom meeting, you're doing uploads because or, your your own image and your sound has to be transmitted upstream to the to the Zoom service. Right, exactly. And if you're a video editor and you have to submit your uh, your finished wares by the Internet, it's got to, you know, those are big files. You got to. Totally. Yeah, totally. you got to do that. So well, that's something we're going to keep a close eye on. Um, yeah, we talked. We have been talking for years about broadband and the boonies, and um, this, although it has its definitely um, valid potential controversies, um, it is probably one of the best hopes for getting broadband to the boonies. Yeah, I know it. I mean, having thousands and thousands of these little metal shoeboxes floating up in space. There's something about that 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 doesn't really appeal to me. But on the other hand, if it if it can help people, you know, attend school or go to college or something from visit a doctor, get a doctor's appointment. Yes, you know, just all of the telemedicine. Of course, all yeah, there's there's Netflix and there's online games and all that stuff. Well, but right. there's also telemedicine and banking, yeah, and uh, and and school and education and online education and radio and you know and podcasts and all the other you know genuinely beneficial things that the internet brings and the ability to do biz to business to have your own eBay store or Etsy store out of your house. Um, True, indeed. And I've and I've been yeah you know I've I, I've shared those same concerns that you just expressed Bob and I think thought to myself you know like a couple of hundred years ago or even a hundred years ago um, as roads started making their way across the planet mm -hmm. and transforming terraforming the planet in a lot of really nasty ways by enabling suburban sprawl and you know car culture and all the rest um that's true how many of us are still using them despite those drawbacks you know the fact is over over human history we have developed technologies that have transformed the planet not necessarily for the good but also with potential for good so it's uh it's true if you have to call an ambulance you'd want it to have a really good road to get you to the hospital i don't on. want a person buggy to go over a rutted road to take me to the hospital nope not like in the old <laughs> days the country doctor and his um country doctor and his buggy horse and buggy coming out to uh you know to take care we all of live in this beautiful part of the world but we also get behind the wheel to use dro to use roads to get from point yeah. a to point b because it's a spread out part of the world and uh I just want to wish a quick uh, belated happy birthday to Steve Jobs. He would have been 66 years old today. He passed away in 2011. When he came back from his hiatus, uh, he, he, he helped to bring the Mac computer to life. It would debuted, well, actually before the Mac, there was the Lisa. He was influenced by the graphical interface that he saw at the Xerox 
Park Research Center in Palo Alto. They brought out the Lisa in 1983. That was a flop. And then they brought out the Mac in 1984. And that was the first commercially available graphical interface computer. Then he, I don't know what he did to get dismissed from Apple, but the board fired him back in the John Scully days. Yeah. And then he came back in 1997. So he was away for almost 15 years, I think. And he was the CEO of Apple from 1997 to when he passed away in 2011. And he probably accomplished more in the technical field that's affected more people than, than anybody in history. You know, maybe the exception of Thomas Edison and his light bulb, but you know. He was certainly the driving force behind um, the personal computer industry and then later kind of ignited the whole computer appliance kind of world with things like the iPod. Oh, And yeah. then, you know, completely, yeah. um, for better for better and worse, just like roads and satellites, introduced the iPhone. <laughs> oh, exactly. And, and, you know, before that, the word device would have meant something like that your dentist used or something like that, you yeah, know. Right. But now, now it's a thing. Everybody has a device. Get out your device and yada, yada, you know. So um, you recommended a book a couple uh, months ago that I actually found on audible and it was um called uh what was the name of it it's escaping me right now select oh creative selection that's it creative selection creative selection by ken kosienda and ken kosienda was the um i think he was the primary uh developer former principal engineer of iphone software at apple so he worked on the original iPhone, and I think one of the things he did is design the Apple keyboard. But in this book, he talks about one time when he got to go and give a demo to Steve Jobs. This is when they were developing the iPad, and he had come up with a design for the iPad, you know, the virtual keyboard that comes up on screen when you want to type in there. And this is really interesting, and this really pulls back the curtain about what was going on in Apple and what it was like to work there and, and the, the environment for how the uh, the unbelievable level of perfectionism that Steve Jobs brought to everything they did. And apparently uh, this guy, Ken's boss, had come up with a plan to make a keyboard that looked like a computer keyboard, like a mic microscopic, you know, a miniature representation of a, a regular keyboard that people were familiar with. And Ken's idea was to just make the damn keys as big as you possibly can. And so he did things like take away the semicolon and the, um, you know, all those other keys that, that kind of crowd themselves into the edge of, of the normal keyboard and just have only the main letters. And then you would have to push the, um, the other key to bring up things like numbers and bring up things like punctuation or symbols. Right. And so, um, somebody, tipped him that the best thing to do with Steve Jobs is give him a couple of different versions of something because then he can always tell you to, well, I like this one better, go back and work on that some more. And so he gave this demo and the first thing he showed was the the one that his boss had come up with and then he showed him the other one that he came up with and demoed it for Steve. And Steve turned and looked at me and said, well, which one do you think I should use? Ooh. And he, <laughs> this is... It was really interesting, you know. He's, he's kind of doing his Steve Jobs things on him. And he said, well, I like mine because I think people will be able to pretty much touch type because it's just the letters that you normally use, you know, in the space bar. 
And he said, okay, go do it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Really interesting. Creative Selection by Ken Cosienda. Available on your online bookstore of choice. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and also an audiobook version. Anyway, uh, we miss Steve Jobs. He did a lot, and Apple is continuing to, um, I think, pretty much carry on the uh, the tradition of excellence in products that he yeah. uh, that he sort of set the standard for. And if the rumors are correct, this year you might be able to buy an iMac in five different colors, which would be interesting. Because <laughs> the thing he just did like, when he just came, like 1997, just like 1997 when he came out with the five. Well, you, you, earlier you texted me that you want the flower power version. The flower power. I love the flower. Power I know iMac. that was so cute. The flower power <laughs> iMac. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. <laughs> We might have time for a phone call or two. We've kind of eat, eaten up the hour with all of our valuable computer tips and, and uh, <laughs> news on satellites, but I think it, it, it's good to bring up this stuff and and, uh, and talk about it. Um, if anybody out there has called in, I think we had a caller from a, a, our last show two weeks ago who was uh, going to try something. It, uh, it escapes me now. I, I, forget all, I forget everything that happens over the course of two weeks, so... If anybody wants well, you can to. remind us by calling 895-2448 exactly. and reaching us here at the studio. Um, and if you've got a computer question or a comment, um, then we would love to hear from you. We've got about 10 minutes left in tonight's edition of Point and Click Radio. Yeah. And, I think uh, one person was calling about um, advice on buying a laptop. and. Um... Yeah, we had a caller who was interested in, like, um, it was actually an interesting call about... Um, should I choose an AMD chip or an Intel chip? And I think uh, I think our, our friend Robert, frequent listener Robert, right. called in with some uh, with some insights there. Well, we've and got actually, a, we've got a caller. Let's bring him up oh, on cool. the air. Okay. Hi, caller. You're on the air. Yes. Hi. Uh, this is Johanna. I have a decidedly low tech question for you guys. Hi, Johanna. Sure. Hi. <laughs> um, by the way. Um, as somebody who worked on the Xerox Star, that was the model for the Lisa many, many years ago. Oh, yes. I'm, I, I, I don't think uh, inspired might not be the wrong word. It might not be the right <laughs> word. Um, so anyway, that's as far as Fair I enough. go. <laughs> but um, I have a decidedly low-tech question. I have, and I'm the proud owner of a um, 2010 MacBook Pro that I am dearly attached to because of the history of how it came into my life and because it's still working, except it needs a new battery and it needs fans replaced because the fans are really noisy. Hmm. And uh, so I have the parts, I have the battery, and I have the fans, and I have the little screwdriver toolkit. And I'm just wondering, is there something, you know, that I should be aware of before I put this thing on my desk and start working on it, like surface, Yes, yes, there is. You have to go to iFixit and look at their Amen. Look at their instructions. I have that. I have the instructions on iFixit. So I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of physical working environment, is there something I should be? Yes, yes. Go to iFixit and look at their illustrations about what you're supposed to do. And then when they show you a picture of the bottom of the laptop where you're supposed to pull out the screws, print Mm -hmm. out that picture. And when you take out the screws, poke them through the picture right where the screw is shown and then you'll know exactly where they go back in because sometimes some of those screws are longer than other ones and you might 
not remember which corner the longer one went into or something like that. That's a great tip. Right. And so then when I first time I ever used iFixit, I came up with that idea to print it out and then just poke the screws right through. First of all, they won't, you know, if you sneeze, they won't go flying across the, (laughs) flying across the dining table and, and, uh, you know, disappearing into the carpet and they'll stay inside that printout. Even if you have to make the printout smaller than the actual size of the computer, you know, just print out on a regular letter size paper. And then, you know, make it take a pencil and poke a hole through where the screw came out of in their very excellent photographs of, of how you disassemble the, the, uh, the laptop. iFixit is great for that stuff. And, and they'll actually tell you, uh, they'll give it a rating about the difficulty level of what it is you're trying to do. And you'll want to yeah, do things modern, like, um, you know, <laughs> you, you'll want to follow and they, they will cover this in, in huge detail as well. But, um, follow all the good anti-static precautions you know don't shuffle across the carpet right before you start sitting down to work you know uh there are like little wrist strap static wrist strap things that you can get um that you may or may not need but um static electricity is a big enemy to the the tiny little um circuits that are in a in a laptop and well that's actually what i'm wondering about because in those two for those two particular jobs, the battery replacement and fan replacement, they don't mention anything about static electricity. So, I, you know, because we're not working on the motherboard or anything, but I'm just right. wondering, like, you know, is, is a wooden desk okay? Should I put a cloth down? Should I put metal down? You know, like, is, is there some, like, practical things that I should be doing? I would put down, like, a cotton towel rather than a mm-hmm. polyester one which is which will you know uh, attract uh, uh, static that mm-hmm. will protect the both the desk and the laptop from any scratches right Bob yes um, and and you're right um, the areas that you're going to be dealing with are not like you're not doing a memory memory upgrade where you're going to be handling you know the memory chips and things like that um, but as you're working in there obviously you don't want to touch other things like chips and the and the motherboard uh, to the degree possible so that you don't um, accidentally uh, discharge some static electricity into them right okay all right okay well I'll give it a try good luck with that let Good us luck. let us know how it turns out. Yeah, and I, yeah. Please, yes. Okay. Keep us posted. We love the idea of keeping old machines alive. Right. Long may she run. <laughs> That's precisely right. <laughs> okay. I'll let you know. Thank you for your advice. Thanks, yeah, Hannah. Bye, Hannah. Take care. Always good to hear from you. Yeah. Good old iFixit. They, um, you know, they, great website. iFixit.com. Um, there's a, what they, they 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 fight for what they call the right to repair. Yes, exactly. And they there's they've uh, sponsored right to repair bills, you know, for for yeah. legislation to make it, you know. I think they fought John Deere tractor one time because John Deere put software in tractors and you know claimed that the farmer couldn't couldn't repair his own tractor. And I guess wow. you know that was that was a real mess. Let's get one more call in. Uh, hi, you're on the air. Yes, I have a question. I have an, a MacBook Air, and I recently downloaded the, the latest uh, software from Apple. Uh, I think it's called Mixer. Uh, yeah. Anyway, since I've done that, I uh, my audio is fine. 
but my video is uh, very broken up. And that not only includes uh, video off the internet, but video even uh, like a plug-in DVD player, for instance. Same thing. Wow. Now, is this... uh, uh, Motion pictures, you know, uh, photographs keep lining up, Hmm. and that's it. But but is your computer monitor working normally? It's not just it's not the computer video of your desktop. It's when you bring up uh, video content and try to play it. Is that when the problem occurs? Exactly. What what kind of Mac? Oh, you said a MacBook Air. It's a, a MacBook Air. It's maybe three years old. No, well, that's certainly new enough to be running Big Sur without any problems. Yeah. You know, Big Sur, some of the very first releases of Big Sur has some problems on non-M1, you know, the new the new chip. Um, Max, I think those have been patched. You might want to make sure that you've got every update installed. You know, go to system preferences and see if there are any Big Sur updates that, uh, that you can install. That might fix a video type glitch. Well, I just installed it. Um, ah. You know, the latest software of Big Sur... No, probably was a mistake because uh, everything worked fine prior to that, and now it's uh, yeah, it's all the video part. It's not the audio; it's video, huh. and including uh, external DVD player. Yeah, giving me the same treatment. I was like, oh Jesus, no. Yeah, I'm seeing. What I just did, did I a quick. So, like, you guys are the guys. So I'm that was my well, I, I just did a quick web search for um, uh, Big Sur video issues, and it seems like you may not be the only one. Um, it oh. might be worth doing a uh, doing a web search for that phrase, Big Sur video issues, um, to see if there are um, potential f- uh, uh, potential fixes. I see. Uh, what what about? The idea of, of calling Apple tech help, you think they're... It wouldn't hurt. You could always hurt. do that. Indeed. See if they have, because uh, I'm sure that people would be reporting those issues. Also, if you're playing through a browser, maybe make sure your browser is up to date. It's Safari. Well, I guess yeah. it, it would be the latest version if you installed it along with Big Sur. I think it comes along with the uh, with the app, doesn't it? Yeah, and yeah, I've been updating it every time a, a new uh, you know software comes up. I've been updating it, so it's been not lagging in that world. Mistake on my part. Somebody always tells me, "No, don't do it, don't do it," and you know, I should have not done it. <laughs> it happened with. Uh, Garage band way back when. And, there, well, there yeah, may well be fixes uh, for it. I would say I would start with uh, doing a web search um, and 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 seeing if you see any uh, um, articles. We'll, we'll we'll take a look at it too over the next couple of weeks, and maybe we'll have some uh, some some additional insights in our next show. Okay, thanks right. thanks for the well, call. Good night. Thanks very much. I know you're going, and uh, have a good night. Bye bye. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Ah uh, yes. I heard the drums and the thunder. (laughs) Okay, Jim. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.